It's Driving Change from ATI. I'm Jeff Berman. This podcast was created to improve our members' experience and to further assist with their growth. My hope is that you'll find the stories you hear from fellow shop owners relatable to where you are, where you were, or where you want to be. Ultimately inspiring you to take that next necessary step. You'll be hearing how others fought the same fight and what they did to get through it and come out better on the other side. Tune in each month for another inspiring story to drive change in your shop. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here with my good friend, Mitch Schneider. Mitch Schneider, and I'm Jeff Berman, and we are here again to talk to you on driving change. And hopefully, uh, we got one more great topic you guys are all going to enjoy and love. So, so Mitch, um, before we get into it, though, how was your week? I understand you. You know, I, nobody. I don't know how many people know that you're out there in sunny California while we're freezing our tushies off back here. <laughs> you, you told me about uh, going to a play this past weekend. I'd love to hear more about it. We took our family, our son and daughter, son-in-law, our three of three of our four grandchildren, who range in age from nine, you know, stepping down nine, eight, six right now, to see the Lion King live theater, and it was amazing. It's in one of Hollywood's iconic theaters, built in the '30s, and it's and it's an amazing place that you couldn't afford to build today. And the kids just went wild; they just really enjoyed it. So my weekend couldn't have gotten a whole lot better. What about that architecture you were telling me about? That's it's, all, a, I, it's amazing. It's just an, it's amazing. If anybody wants to go ahead and, and uh, look up Pantages Theater in Hollywood, it's it's crazy. It's immense. It's very, very large. It's got gold gilded, just about everything. In fact, it, when Lion King opened there the first time uh, a while ago, the theater insisted that the producers put $10 million into upgrading the theater. So that was sound system. That was every, you know, just everything. And it was, it was, it was worth every penny. So Leslie and I have season tickets. And this time we decided that part of the season ticket package was the opportunity to purchase Lion King tickets early because we knew that they were going to sell out. And we did. So we took the entire family for a musical theater weekend. And, and they love it because I have, Two granddaughters that are that are um, that just love to get dressed up. I mean, <laughs> love to get dressed up with their were best they in princess dresses. outfits. When uh, they went, uh, they weren't in princess outfits, but they were wearing jewelry, and they had you know. By, uh, our eldest had her hair back, and and uh, her cousin. I mean, it was just so much fun to watch them interact. Yeah. And, it, and and I don't know if anybody is out there has gone to see the lion king if you haven't you really should but there's a, a part of the maybe i shouldn't tell them i don't know but there's a part <laughs> there's a part where the animals which are which are um really images of am- animals with prosthetics to appear like animals that come down the center aisles of the theater and walk on stage that way and it was just the, i thought the kids heads were going to explode it was just just amazing to watch Years ago, I saw The Lion King at Disney in Florida, and they had this. The theater was a big circle, and there was entryways from four different yeah. places, and it, the whole thing was in the middle. Was it the same way there? Well, this has got a stage in front, and then a mezzanine, an orchestra, and a balcony. So it was like a regular play. I, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this wasn't in the round, but it was. It was. It was. We had 
<laughs> we spent a lot more money to have much better seats than most yeah, of yeah, I yeah. spend on ourselves <laughs> to make sure that the grandkids could see it. And, and, and rather than ask their parents for money to come and chaperone their children, we just took everybody. Wow. So it was, it was great. Well, that's a memory. Hey, listen, I think every day, every day for me is a blessing. Every day is a day that I would not have had if it wasn't for the generosity of a stranger and the skill and ability of the people at the City of Hope. So uh, I figure that every day is a gift. And if you don't, if you don't share that, what's the point? Well, that is a great way to segue into our topic for today, which again, I'm not really even sure what to call it, except to say that, you know, we're, we're going to get into the weeds a little bit with some things that I think most people probably can very much relate to. How, how deep they've thought about it, that remains to be seen. We'll see how this goes. But I guess I'll start off by asking you a question, Mitch. And, and the question I would ask is, you know, I wonder, I mean, you've been doing this for a long, long time. You've talked to thousands and thousands of business owners. You know, I wonder how many of these business owners that you can remember you thought of you know, when they got back in business. And, and this might even be you too. Think about yourself when you first started. You know, when you first started, did you have a plan? I mean, was there this whole grandiose idea of, of you know, what, what your image was going to be and how you were going to get the message out there? Or did you just go, you know what, I really like cars and I can probably do this better than the guy I'm working for. You know, I'll open a business. Which, which side of that would you say most people were on? My father told me that if I went into this business, he would break both my hands. <laughs> and, uh, well, that's and, a different perspective I hadn't even brought. <laughs> no, and, and uh, I was going to school at night. We had the opportunity to open a service station. It was a 24-hour service station. He, couldn't, he knew he, it would be difficult to do alone, to do on his own. He asked me if I would help him to go ahead and get this business started. At least ostensibly, that's what he said. Now, really what was happening in the background is it was 1966. I was 19 years old, 20 years old, thinking about joining the Marine Corps. I wasn't even born yet, by the way. Thank you. I, I could have gone the whole, the whole podcast without knowing that. Um, it was, and and, and uh, he knew I was thinking about joining the Marine Corps. And the way that he kept me from joining the Marine Corps was saying, you know, come, I need your help in the business. You'll be my partner. We'll get the business started. And then you can do whatever you want to do once we get it started. I was taking psychology classes at the time. And to make a long story short, two of the guys that worked for him at one point decided to, to hold him up when he got tendonitis in his hands, couldn't really move his fingers, couldn't hold a wrench. And they decided it was a great time to ask for a, a raise. He blew both of them out. He, 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 he took one of them and he, he, he said, he took him out to the sidewalk and he says, you know, they have wheels on your toolbox? And the guy said, no, why? He said, so you can park it right here on the sidewalk. He said, get your shit together and get out of here. He did that with both of them. And I, and I told him, I said, what are you going to, I went nuts. I said, what are you going to do? We have cars to fix. There's nobody here to fix them. And he says, you'll be my hands. I'll tell you what to do. You'll do it. And I fell in love. I mean, I always loved cars. I always loved to drive them. I, I had a, I was an inveterate street racer. Unfortunately, I, I, I had a need for speed. So that part of it, I was okay with, but what most people don't understand about our business is that automotive service maintenance repair as a hobbyist or as a do-it-yourselfer is far different from being a professional technician where you're working under the pressure of the clock. So, uh, but the first car he gave me was a, a big block Chevy station wagon to tune up and basically walked me through it as I was working on it. And then when I told him I was done, after I thought I was done, he walked by with a cup of water and put it on the air, the air filter assembly. 
and walked away. He just, just walked away. And I saw the ripples in the water, in the cup. And he came back then and showed me how to get rid of those ripples. And I did. And I was, I was thinking about my psychology class and it was like no alienation, instant gratification. But, you know, what could be bad with this? So ultimately wound up joining him in business, business as, as truly as a partner, getting involved that way. But in answer to your question, after being with maybe tens of thousands of shop owners over the course of my career, um, I don't think anyone really has a plan when they first get involved in the industry and very quickly find out that survival becomes the plan. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not a matter of, of looking forward to a, a powerful and positive future as much as it is just staying away from the crocodiles. We're trying to take a big piece out of that took us as you you mentioned before. So yeah, and and for me, as my my as my journey progressed, as I started to think more and more deeply about all of these things that are involved in in being successful and in the relationship we share with with uh, the motoring public, I started to parse things out very very carefully. I started to realize that that there was a whole universe of motorists. And motorists were potential customers, and customers were a good thing, but loyal and lifetime clients was a better thing. So as I started to think about what makes a client, what makes a customer, what makes what moves a, a, a motorist, a member of the motoring public, into coming to you and trying you, think about it for a second. That's the greatest act of faith you can imagine. Somebody's going to take the second biggest purchase they're ever going to make, and they're going to bring it to you. You've never seen them before. They've never seen you before. And they're going to trust you with taking care of whatever their problem is. And you're whacked out. You're crazy enough to say, yeah, bring me whatever problems you have and I'll fix them. So, I mean, as deranged as that seems, that's pretty much what happens in every shop every morning across the country. You could almost say that's the same thing you were doing before you got in the cars, the psychiatrist stuff. Oh yeah, no, it's it's. I, I, there isn't there isn't a successful shop owner I know that isn't a, th- a psychotherapist. Yeah, because every car, every broken car is accompanied by a broken person, and if you don't if you don't understand that, you don't address that broken person's problems, you haven't done anything, and you're not going to get anywhere. It's it's, it's it's as if you had done nothing at all. So it, it became really clear to me that when you started figuring out how are you going to get all of these people to come to you. And I started to look at advertising and marketing and I, and I started to look at it in a very different way. Uh, and I started to see the, the flaws in it as it applies to our industry. Most people, you know, I'm sure that, that you'll agree with me on this, that most, most shop owners are sucked into the vortex of specials and discounts and allowances for first-time customers, right? You're going to have a cheap oil change. You're going to have a cheap service. You're going to give something away for nothing. And there's a salesman somewhere that's working his butt off to get you to do this, promising you that you're going to get incredible results by attracting the antithesis of the kind of client that you really want, right? If you were to go out, not everybody's a fisherman. Uh, I'm certainly not a, a terrific fisherman, but I know I know enough about fishing to know that you're going to catch the kind of fish you bait your hook for. Right. So if all you're doing is lost leader advertising, you're going to you're going to catch bottom dwellers and bottom dwellers are not generally known for their allegiance. They're not necessarily known for their loyalty. And that's the, the opposite of the client that you want. You want a client 
that wants his problem solved and is willing to pay somebody to solve it. You know, somebody who recognizes they have a problem and recognizes they can't do it on their own. We could go into a whole discussion about, about that, but I think it's important before you start looking at all looking at all the other different elements of this arc that exists as a as a motorist brings his vehicle into the shop and ultimately, hopefully, becomes a loyal and lifetime client. Uh, what takes place in each? Because the importance here is that you start to parse these things out and think of the, think about them individually and how they all connect together. So, and, and the deeper you drill down, and you can drill down forever, I mean, you can go really deep on any of these specific elements, the more important, the more thoughtful, the more thoughtful you are, the, the better the response you're going to get, uh, the better the results that you're going to get. So you have to think about process, you have to think about policies, you have to think about procedures. And it sounds almost absurd, counterintuitive to have a process for bringing somebody into the shop that you don't know. But the fact of the matter is, you know who the customers that you have are that you love. I mean, there isn't a shop owner I know that couldn't give me a list of 20 people that they that makes them smile whenever they come down the driveway. They're more friends than they are customers, or they've customers that have become friends or clients. So you want to analyze what it is about those people that makes you smile, that makes you happy to see them. And it, and it can't be just the fact that they spend a lot of money with you. But it's, it's not hard to do. You just think about the 20% of your customers that give you 80% of your revenue. And I'll let, you, I'll let you take a minute to think about that. Because yes, it's true. If you go and you look at your books, you're going to find out that there are 20% of your clients that give you 80% of your revenue, probably maybe even less, maybe even a smaller percent, percentage. And if you figure out what it is about them that you like, you're going to say, I want to go ahead and focus all of my efforts on inviting people into the shop. So I go ahead and, and, and have those people come to me. I don't necessarily want everybody else. I can't work for everybody else. I can make more money doing better work for fewer people. And I think that's the important part about it. So, so before any of this takes place, a switch has to go on in, in, in your head as a shop owner that says, I may not be doing things the way that I should or could. I may not be doing things as effectively as I possibly could do them. Maybe I ought to go ahead and try doing something different so I get a different result. Because the majority of shop owners that I've met, the ones that haven't taken that leap, that haven't made that first step, um, struggle every single day just to get by. And, and you know, you go through the recession that we had a while ago, you go through COVID, you go through, I would hate to think of the credit card debt that was incurred by the majority of small business shop owners in the country and how long it's going to take them to pay that off because they're unwilling to change. They're unwilling to see things differently. And, and the, the impact that's going to have on not only them, but their marriages, you know, their significant others, their kids, their families in general. And uh, I think the great crime when it comes to shop owners is the damage they do to themselves. So I think that's where we start. We start with this, this whole idea of what makes a, a customer, what makes a great customer and uh, how we build consistency. You know, how we build consistency, because that, that's going to be the secret. It's going to be process, policies, procedures. And that's how you, that's, that's how you get the consistency that, that you're looking for. You know, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? When am I doing it? And is it working? Once you start to look at things that way, once you start to, to realize that process dictates policies, you know, doing things the same way 
every time you do them and constantly refining that. And I think that's the secret. It's constantly refining it because everything around you is always changing. So this is not a one and done. Okay. And that the, the policies that you create dictate procedures, the specific things that you have to do in order to maintain that. And that those procedures are, are, are what is going to go ahead and ensure that, that you wind up with the consistency and success you're looking for. So and reality is as we grow, that has to be repeatable and transferable to other people. Well, I think I think I think that's critical, Jeff. I, I really do, because you can't you got nothing to sell if you don't have that. You have absolutely nothing to sell if you don't have a shop that would run just as well without you as with you. So if you take that idea and you think about really just as I'm listening to you, I'm just taking all this in and I'm thinking, you know, we've got a series of business owners out there that have started in the manner that you just suggested. And they really hadn't been looking at those steps, those procedures, those things. And while it makes sense that I would look at my better customer base, that 20%, and try to duplicate them in some way, because I don't really understand that. There's a certain level of ignorance there, right? I, I've never been a part of that. I, what, what was I told? What do I believe? Spend money, advertise, they'll come in, right? So, so I do the opposite, which is what you just said. And I I bait the hook improperly. And and then I wonder, why doesn't this work? Well, you know why it doesn't work? Because you got exactly what you asked for. That's right. Period. That's it. You got, you got so bottom dwellers. You, you got to ask for something different if you want something different, right? That's it. So, so as soon as you realize that, then you say, okay, well, how do I find out what it is that I need to ask for so that I can get something different? So I go to those 20%. And, and I don't know, Mitch, I don't know if you've ever done anything like this, but as I'm listening, the first thing that comes to mind for me would be, you know, let me identify this 20%, that, that 40 or so customers that everybody loves, and let's take them all out to dinner or lunch or bring them all over, have a little event, and just flat out ask them. That's right. You know, what? We did it. We did okay, that. so let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what we did. We, we identified the, those customers. Once I became really familiar with the idea of the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, yeah. we did that. We started to look at the customer. I didn't do it as a group originally. I started doing it individually, engaging clients in conversations. So like, what is it that, that you really love about, about coming here? You know, what are the things that you really, and, and never, ever was it the fact that we were the cheapest shop in town because we weren't. I mean, and I worked hard not to be. I bet you they even told you, I know you're more money, but I ignore that because, or some level of that kind of discussion, they probably, as you asked them what they loved about you, they said, well, it's not your prices. I mean, there were, there was, did they say things like that? I bet they did. Well, they, they did, but we could, we could, once you get engaged in a conversation like that, I went, I went so far as to go ahead and take those customers, figure out what they were selling, you know, what they were buying from us look at specific cars, figure out the mileage that they had driven and what their cost per mile was. And invariably, every time that I checked it, their cost per mile for driving was half of what the national average was because they maintained their cars. So in the end- You just sold spend, value, didn't you? Yeah, that's it. Spending more money actually costs less. Yeah. So, and, and, and it was, and, and all I wanted was people that recognized that. Because that's half your half your battle in communicating with your customers is to create that kind of sense of value, right? Why why am I worth more? But the best way that you can understand that is to hear it from your clients. Because your idea of why you're worth more has to do with your technical ability to fix the car. Their idea of why you're worth more is the fact that they trust you, that they feel safer after they bring the car to you. They know they're not going to have a breakdown. I mean, there isn't anybody that's listening to this podcast right now 
that that doesn't recognize or should recognize that the clients that maintain their cars more aggressively never break down. You know, when was the last time you saw one of those guys come in on the back of a record? It just doesn't happen because you're on top of it. You see the car twice a year. So you're you're ahead of the curve. So it's really important. And, 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 and you don't do that by loss leader advertising or marketing. You do that by community service. You do that by being involved in your church or synagogue or mosque or whatever it is that you're involved with. You do that by being involved in, in the right network marketing groups. You do that by serving a specific charity that you believe in. Um, you do that by service, you, you, serving the community that, that, that you're involved in and you're immersed in and recognizing that not everybody in that community is for you. There are people that you know that bring their cars to you that would be better served if you sent them down the road to Bob because Bob would do a better job for them because Bob loves bottom dwellers. So, you know, it's important that we recognize this because once we identify these things and, and accept them as being true, we're going to change our behavior, hopefully. We're going we're gonna to see with better lenses and what we see will be more clear and we'll behave differently. And, and that's... Uh, that's, I think that's the, the, the critical issue is that you have to recognize who it is that you can serve best and who best you want to serve. And I don't think a lot of garage owners do that. I think that they're they're just stuck and they're, you know, they're trying to get more cars. I mean, everybody you talk to, anybody that you talk to, shop owner, is going to tell you that every problem that they have is going to be solved by having more car count. And every shop owner I've seen that says that, has got a 50% productivity rate. So something's wrong with that equation. <laughs> Those are mutually exclusive. I think that I think that recognition, realization is where this starts. Awareness is where this starts. And when you start talking about advertising and marketing and all of these other things, you have to, you have to recognize that there is a, a, a very clear path to take. And you've got to understand it before you talk to any salesman from any customer that's going to do any kind of advertising and marketing for you. And that's awareness. Write this down, kids. Awareness, <laughs> interest, desire, action. That's how it works. You create awareness in the community for people who don't necessarily know you exist. And it's the right kind of awareness of who you are and what it is you do and who you best serve. If you create the right kind of awareness, you just might wind up with some people being interested in what it is they've heard from you and about you. That interest will create desire if it's focused properly. And then consequently, that desire, if it's focused properly as well, will lead to action. And, and that is the motorist, this member of this amorphous, huge group of vehicles that's out there, uh, will either get on the telephone and call you or they'll, more importantly, they'll get in the car and they'll drive down to see what you're all about firsthand, right? What you really want is somebody that's going to come in and investigate you. You're going to, you, you want the person to come in and interrogate you. You know, I was watching a program this morning. There was a doctor on and somebody asked the doctor about a, a second opinion. And the doctor just came out of her chair and she said, you want a second opinion. You 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 want to you don't want to pick a doctor without investigating who they are, what they're all about. You, you don't want to choose a, a doctor 
because somebody else said that they were good. You want to ask them your own questions and find out whether they specialize in what you need, you know, what what the doctor for. I, I got to tell you, on my cancer journey, I learned more about picking medical professionals and, and making good choices than I ever wanted to in my life. But it applies. It spills over into every other professional you're likely to come in contact with. And we're afraid of these people. And I got news for you. Most of your customers are scared to death of you. Yeah. Because you know what they don't know. Right. You've got the secret sauce. It's funny. I, I feel that same way about just how we handle a phone. If you really think about it, you know, if if I'm a customer or a potential customer and I call you up and you're you're the very first phone call I make, right? Maybe I'm looking online. Maybe I got some sort of clipped ads clipped or something. I don't know, but I'm, I'm going down a list of shops and you're the first shop I call. Even if this is the best phone call ever and you were amazing, I'm probably not necessarily going to make you the choice. I, you know, I should probably still call a couple more and see what that's all about. Now, if I've called a few and experienced how horrible it really is on the phone, <laughs> right? And you are amazing. Well, then my decision has been made, right? And I and I think in in this case, and it's I don't know if it's any different to the front counter. To be honest, I, it could be the same with staffing. I think it all fits. Is the bottom line is is that if I haven't experienced anything less than or I don't really know what else is out there, I can't really be that in love with you if I don't know what other options there are, right? It's harder. I mean, it can be happening, but it's harder, right? So we are a product of our own experiences. We, you know, just a simple story of my own. I can remember many, many years ago, I used to, when I bought appliances, I would never buy the extended warranties. And the reason is, is that, you know, I was, I had a guy brain and I had a fix it brain. Uh, well, I fix any of it, don't matter. Right. Right. And, you know, and they don't break anyway. That's ridiculous. It's a waste of money. You know, you, you have all these thoughts. So I never bought it. And then one day I had an appliance break and it broke, I don't know, six months out of warranty, something like that. Of course, they weren't able to, they wouldn't honor it. And, you know, and I, I had a repair guy come in. I saw how much it was for repair. Just, hell, just to show up was $150. They didn't do anything, right? And <clears throat> long story short, they told me the same thing that I would have expected them to say, which is by the time you pay me to repair it, you can replace it. Go buy a new one. And it did. And it, it, what did it need? A computer board, right? Wasn't a hard fix, but it was expensive. And it was yeah. something I couldn't do myself. So- what did I learn from that experience? Next time I buy an appliance, I'm getting a warranty. <laughs> but I would never have had that thought had I not experienced the other side of it. Yeah. Right. Well, and I that's mean, really I, my I, whole point. I used to I used to love it when when customers would clients would come to motorists would come to us after having been somewhere else or having you know gone through that process because they were going to get a very different experience. You know, they're going to get people that would just stop what they were doing and listen. That's ninety percent of it. It's, that's just ninety percent of it. Is when you you finally spend all of that money to get somebody to pick up the phone, or more importantly, stand at the counter in front of you, take the time to make contact. I mean, real contact, one to one, eye to eye. You know, don't pick up the phone while you're talking to them. If if they're standing there, you got somebody on the on the phone that may or may not come in, and you got somebody that's in your in your driveway now. Where are you going to focus your efforts or your energy? 90% of the shop owners I know will go right to the phone. Nobody likes to hear the phone ring. Well, you know what? And that's actually an interesting point because here's what ends up happening. If you need to answer the phone and you handle it appropriately, that's fine. But what ends up happening is this. They pick up the phone. They're annoyed that they have to pick up the phone. So they answer the phone inappropriately. They've got 
one other line ring and they got two people asking them questions, four customers at the counter and all this activity is happening. So none of it gets handled right. Right. And in the end, who suffers the most? Probably the one in front of us and the one on the phone. Well, so, and you as a shop owner. But in the all end, three. everybody does. But in that yeah. moment, it's those guys. And look, those are the ones that we should be giving the most attention to because our efforts prior to this is what got them in front of us. Well, I don't think most shop owners ever stop to think of all all the money that they spend, all the effort that's expended um, to, to get that person to do what it is we want them to do because most of us, most shop owners, aren't exactly sure what it is they want them to do. <laughs> I want you to I want you to call. I want you to call, but I don't want you to ask any questions. Yeah. I want you to come by, but I don't want you to bother me while I'm doing something else. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's it is what you're in is the relationship building business. And if you got anybody on that counter that's not good at building relationships, you better wait, 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 wait. wait. That's a whole different. <laughs> yes, it is. It, it, because uh, what you're talking about there is, and I'm just going to put this out there so this can fester for people while while we get to that at some point, which is this. We bring mechanics who are really good at fixing cars and we make them service riders because they got car experience. And then everything you just talked about, Mitch, is what becomes a reality. Yep. It, none of it works because they don't know. It's worse than that. It's worse Uh-oh. than that. What's worse it's than that? Wor- it's yes. worse than that because that person that's on the first of all, we'll get into the idea of calling that person a service writer and how how awful that is, how this how how disruptive that is in a second. But the person that you have promoted to put in that really critical position more than likely has struggled to survive most of their lives. They've not been paid what they should have been paid. They've not made the kind of income they should have made. They know what it's like to, to go paycheck to paycheck because they didn't always work for you. They, they worked somewhere else. And they've got some of these things deeply embedded in their soul. And when they get a customer that comes in or a client that comes in or a motorist that comes in and they need a lot of work, the first thing they start doing is discounting. They start prioritizing differently. They start discounting differently instead of letting the, the just presenting what needs to be done and letting the customer decide. Wait They're minute. making decisions for them. Wait, 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 wait. So, so what you're saying is they're thinking with their wallets, which I completely understand, right? Their experiences have brought them to this place and they believe it's expensive too. And they, they got bleeding hearts and they want to help people, right? So, and they don't really know how to sell. So they default to, I'll give them a ah, discount. We go right, right back. We go. That, that was my point. We're going right back to policy, procedure, structure, because if you're going to put someone in that position, whether they are going to be able to do it or not, because they have or have not the skill sets to do it, they're going to be more successful if at least we've got a structure to put them. In. Yes, absolutely. So I, I'm not allowed to give away money if there's no if there's if the structure doesn't allow for that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you have to understand that there has to be a certain amount of gestalt there. You have to have a certain amount of understanding. But it starts with taking that service writer. And a racing writer crossing it out and put advisor, consultant, advocate. advocate. Think about that for a second. If you put if you put service advocate on the card and you hand it to a client, client a, advocate, client advocate, right? And they look at that and they say they're advocating for me. They're on my side. Wait, wait. Are you saying consumers don't really want to talk to salesmen? Um, 
You can say yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't want to say they don't want to talk to salesmen any more than than you do as a shopper. Right, I, exactly. I used to tell I used to tell a salesman that came into the shop if they didn't have an appointment, I wasn't going to talk to them. Period. End of report. And they had to fill out three criteria for me to talk to them after they had an appointment because it's disrespectful to just show up. Right, it's saying that your time is worth nothing. My time is worth more than your time because I can come in whenever I want. Mm-hmm. Right. But I used to tell them the same thing every time. You got to save me money, make me money, or make my life easier somehow. If you can't do one of those three things, hit the paper. And you better be able to show me how that's going to work. But that's a whole different issue. See, but but once we start to go ahead and wrap our head around this whole idea of, of how different the relationship with a client could be, and you do that because all of the shop owners that are going to listen to this have clients. They may not recognize that right away, but maybe now they'll look at them differently and they'll say, wait a minute, you know, uh, these are the people that I love to see. And I, I see them, they make me happy. And they're in that 20% bracket of, of providing the majority of my revenue, my, my long-term revenue. Uh, I'm going to start treating them differently. And I'm going to try and get more and more people like that to come in. Because the more people like that I have, the easier it becomes for me to build a successful business. And I mean successful in more ways than one. Successful financially, successful emotionally, psychologically, in every other way that you want to go ahead and look at it. So that going to work is no longer torture. Wait, that sounds like a wonderful place to work, Mitch. It can be. I tell you what. What's holding everybody back? Or I shouldn't say everybody, those that are being held back. What's holding them back? All they got to do is go in the bathroom, turn the light on, look in the mirror. (laughs) They'll see that sucker right there. It's, It's right there glaring at them. I mean, it really does boil down to just taking a moment and realizing nothing changes if nothing changes. And you, you, the hardest part is where to start. And I, I think that you're you're right when you say it really doesn't have to be difficult. It really just boils down to doing the right thing by the people that you need to do the right thing by, which is, and in this order would be my suggestion, first your employees, then your customers. Absolutely. Absolutely. The customer comes second. And I know that's a hard thing to wrap your head around, but if you treat, if you treat your, 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 your internal customers, if you think about the people who work for you as internal clients, people that you depend on, people that are meaningful, people that are important to you, people that can make all the difference in the world and how you are perceived by others. Going back to this idea of consistency, if they love coming to work and they love serving you, they're going to love serving your customers. They're going to bring that same enthusiasm to whatever it is they do. And I think that that's critically important as well. And, and we, it's not necessarily the easiest thing in the world to get these things done. Nobody likes change. The only two people in the world that like change are a wet infant or a stockbroker. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, everybody else is miserable when it comes to change. But if you can see a clear path to success through that discomfort and you recognize that that the discomfort is temporary it's real nobody's going to argue the fact that it's not real that doing things differently or a different way and not going to be uncomfortable then you start to begin to understand what's worthwhile and what's not and that's when things become truly truly critical and and uh, not everybody has to be successful just you you can't worry about everybody else because not everybody else is is going to be strong enough to make the changes that are necessary to make, to see things differently, to recognize what their role in success is. And that that success isn't something that happens to somebody else, right? Success is a journey that we embark upon knowingly, thoughtfully, 
recognizing that it's not always going to be easy, but it's always going to be worthwhile, then, then we make all the difference in the world. And, you know, there are plenty of people at ATI, lots and lots of shop owners that I know that I admire tremendously uh, that are in the alumni programs that, you know, they are still there to make sure that they don't fall off the wagon, that they don't go back to the old ways they were doing things when they get too busy. Uh, that recognize that everything that we're talking about here has got merit, has got value. So hopefully all of you out there that are listening can want to get involved in this process, in this journey. Uh, and you already have. You're, you're, <laughs> you've made that choice through self-selection, right? Then you let us know what it is that, that, that you need help with because we're committed to your success. And we want you to understand that and to know that. So if you've got questions, if you want to participate, uh, if you've got something to share, let Jeff know. I'll let him make the decisions. That way he's the heavy. <laughs> and we'll go from there. Podcast at autotrading.net is how you would do that, folks. We're, we're looking for other ways to do that. But for now, that's what we got going on. And so, Mitch, you know, as we wrap this up, because I, I think we, we did a really good job with the bigger picture. I, I don't know how much in the weeds we got. There was a little bit of that. Hopefully there were some nuggets that people were taking away here. I, I heard a few really good nuggets. But but the bottom line is if we were going to kind of wrap this us up into one little neat little package and give them a little thought to take away, what, what would you say that would be? What was what was this all about today for them? Um, awareness. Awareness. Be aware of where you are in your journey now. Be aware of the community that you serve. And what is special about those people that are special to you? Be aware that there is a path to success and that you're probably already on it if you're listening to the podcast. Awareness that things can be different if you initiate the change, if you have the courage and determination to make it happen. And I would also say awareness of yourself. Right. You know, yes, you know, absolutely. What, what you are or are not doing that should that you should or should not be doing to match whatever it is that you want, right? That's it. We can't put the wrong bait on the hook and expect to get the fish that we're looking to get, right? We have to be aware of what we're doing and what we're getting as a result of that. So absolutely awesome. Thank you, Mitch. It was another wonderful conversation as it always is. And I look forward to doing this again with you in a few weeks. Cool. I'll be there. I promise. All right. Thanks everybody. You have been listening to Driving Change from ATI. If you liked what you've heard today and feel you have something compelling to share with your fellow shop owners, we're waiting to hear from you. You can contact me, Jeff Berman, by emailing podcast at autotraining.net. Let me know what it is you can't wait to share and how I can reach you. Make sure you follow this podcast so you're notified when the next podcast is available. If you're unfamiliar with ATI and you want to learn more, you can check us out online at autotraining.net. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.